0: The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in him. Do do any of you ever fear the possibility of falling away from the faith? Do any of you ever feel your affections being pulled in a different direction other than Christ. Or or maybe if it's not you, you have a friend or a family member that used to be in church all the time but has since stayed away. Maybe that's happened within the past few years. Maybe it's happened as, re- as recently as this year. But at some point in your life, either you, probably you or somebody you know and you're close to who professes faith in Christ will do the unthinkable and walk away how do you handle those moments if it's if it's you how do you handle the moments where your fresh, fleshly desires are drawing you away from the lord or how how would you respond to your friend who no longer shows any interest in following Christ. We haven't seen a lot of that in the book of Hebrews yet, but it's it's here now where the author of Hebrews is addressing this Christian community that has a strong Jewish background, which is why it's called the letter to the Hebrews, a community that seems to have faced and is likely still facing persecution that this persecution is causing a number of people to become disheartened and break fellowship. So the author, as we're going to see in this passage today and probably the next day, or a Sunday, and the next Sunday, and probably the next Sunday, the author is very concerned. Concerned to encourage these Christians towards stronger faith in Christ not wanting more people to fall away and not wanting those who remain to be discouraged. That's his goal. That's his goal in this long section. We'll we'll talk about how it attaches to the first two chapters. But we ask this main question before reading our passage. If that's his goal, to encourage, how does he go about doing this? We're, We're going to see this this main issue again and again, but in this particular section, he offers an exhortation, uh, an imperative, a, a command, right? That we don't see him offer again. It's the only time it's mentioned explicitly. But we do see him putting it into practice and exemplifying it for us with great consistency. In, in fact, we have been doing this very thing for the past few months in our own church gatherings. It's it's very simple. It's so simple, but if we neglect to do this, what he commands us to do, we will surely find ourselves in severe spiritual and therefore eternal danger. What's his answer to the solution of people falling away? What are his instructions for those tempted to turn away from the message of salvation? Two words. Consider Jesus. That's it. Consider Jesus. Would you read with me in Hebrews 3, 1 to 6? Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. That is our passage for this morning. And I want to look at it in in three steps, not necessarily three points, but three steps if our command is as simple as it can be consider jesus i want to talk about firstly how do we do this how 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 to consider jesus number 2 what exactly are we considering about jesus number 3 why why do we consider jesus so firstly how to consider jesus this this word consider is is a perfectly good translation of the greek behind it but in our vernacular, it might not immediately capture the seriousness of the command because what, what consider here in the text means is not give this a second or two of your time. It's, it's not a, a passing thought, here one moment and gone the next. We often say things like, oh, um, we should consider going there on vacation one day or, or I considered ordering an appetizer but I decided against it in the end. The things that that we consider are often easily dismissed, inconsequential, but not not so here in this passage. It would be more akin to a father saying to the young man who's taken his daughter on a dinner date, consider having her home before 9 p.m. That is more than just a suggestion. Other translations would render this word Fix your thoughts on Jesus, as the NIV says. And it's not unlike the only other time before this passage, which happened to be the last time that I preached as well, the instructions offered in Hebrews 2, 1, where where the author said to pay much closer attention. In this context, to consider means to think and reflect deeply. Deeply. And that's what it means, but how exactly do we do this? We don't get an explanation, do we? Consider by doing this. Consider by doing this. But we do get an example. In fact, considering Jesus is what we've been doing throughout the entirety of this letter so far. Uh, Think back um, to chapters one and two, and the contents of them, what Jason has been uh, preaching. And that word at the beginning of our passage today, therefore, connects with what has come before. So therefore, that word introduces the implications that flow out of our considerations of the past two chapters. And everything we find in this first verse of chapter 3 is covered in the previous two chapters let's let's see how this how this works he's teaching us how to consider and he does it by even what he does in his first verse therefore holy brothers holy brothers those two words by themselves are pretty common right you put them together and I, I, you don't find this elsewhere in scripture holy brothers they're uniquely used together here and why here because these words represent the result of all the author has just finished telling us concerning Jesus' ministry as the incarnate Son. What does it mean to be holy? It means to be sanctified and set apart. Who has done that? Well, Jesus has. In chapter 2, verse 11. It said, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. We've, we've, it's been explained to us uh, just recently how we are made holy by Christ sanctifying us. And what about the word brothers? It probably rings a bell. Yeah, we have been talking about that. Why? Because Jesus in his incarnation has shared in our flesh and became as we are in every respect. Do you remember these themes throughout chapters 2 and 1? Jesus here, we're holy brothers because he doesn't just adopt us into a family and say assimilate no he comes to us first he unites himself to our family first in becoming flesh and blood with us Th- this is the good news that we have been considering together throughout this year therefore holy brothers that wouldn't make sense apart from what we've we've heard and that was mainly chapter 2 but don't forget about chapter 1 Look at the next phrase in our passage, "Holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, you who share in a heavenly calling." Why? What does he mean by this? Well, the, heaven, the heavenly calling is this—a calling from heaven to heaven. Which direction are we are we going here? It's it's a heavenly calling because heaven is both the call's source; it comes from heaven, and it is the call's direction. Hopefully. It reminds us that, how in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. And his son is the radiance of his glory, the exact imprint of his nature. So the call that Christ, the message that we're supposed to pay attention to, the call that Christ has given to us is a call from the God of heaven. But it's also a calling to the God of heaven. See, so think think back to the, the first couple chapters. God has done his work in us through Christ in order to bring many sons to glory, to himself in heaven. This is a calling because we have a great responsibility to pay close attention and not to neglect such great salvation. It's a calling because we are made holy, but we're called to be holy. And that's why Jesus is our great helper in the fight against temptation, because we are called to holiness. We see we see how this works in other Books and other letters, specifically Paul, Ephesians 4, chapter 1, probably a, a verse that you have partially memorized. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So we are called by God, but we are called to walk in a manner worthy. We are called to holiness. You see how the author of Hebrews in chapter 1 and chapter 2 moves all of that information forward. And when we get to chapter 3, he has now given us the perfect example of what it means to consider Jesus. To consider Jesus. So here we finally get our instructions, right? To consider Jesus, Or, or do we, okay? So the KJV says this in verse one, consider the apostle and high priest of our con- our profession, Christ Jesus. So it's subtle, do you, do you see the difference there? Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, and now look at the ESV. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now, this, this isn't a major point, so don't be like, well, oh, what's he gonna do with this? No, Jesus in, in the Greek is at eth- the, the way that Greeks constructed their sentences, whatever was at the end of the sentence was there for emphasis. So the KJV is actually more literal to say the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus, versus consider Jesus. And why is this important? Because it it where have we read, where have we heard already about Jesus being the apostle and the high priest? In chapters one and two. It, 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 it flows exactly from it. The, um, this word apostle uh, has not appeared in, in Hebrews, but, and so it might strike you as odd. In fact, I think this is the only place in scripture where Jesus is called in the noun form, the apostle, the apostle. The only time, um, the, the other times where Jesus is referred to in apostle-like ways is in the verbal form, meaning the person who is sent, right? Uh, we, we see that Jesus is the sent one in every single one of our Gospels, but if you read John's Gospel, you see it again and again and again. Look at John 13, 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. An apostle is a sent one, and it's most basic sense. Is this related to where we've been in the book of Hebrews so far? I can't help but see the first part of the letter where the case is made that Jesus is the ultimate messenger of God sent to the world. Like the apostles were given the revelation of God to deliver it, Jesus reveals God's word perfectly and fully. In a way, remember who else are messengers of of God? Angels. But Jesus reveals God's message in a way that no angelic messenger could possibly have done. They They weren't capable. It wasn't possible because angels aren't the apostle of God. Even more recently, we've read about Jesus as the high priest who represents the people before God and makes propitiation for our sins. That was in chapter 2, verse 17. The point point is, if I were to preach verse 1 alone, it would all be repeated material. Is that a bad thing? Of course it's not a bad thing. But I think what the author has done here is he's shown us how to move from theological reflection, from contemplation, from considering Jesus, and he has shown us throughout of why this should encourage us. why this should encourage us. The last um, two words of verse one are the words, "The apostle and the high priest of our confession, of our confession. What, what is a confession? A confession in the church is well. That that can mean a lot of different things. I'm not. I'm not talking about. And I don't think the author here is talking about the Roman Catholic idea of confession, where you you would lay your sins before a priest and ask for absolution. This is not a Roman Catholic idea of confession. It's more like a Westminster Confession of Faith idea of confession or a or a London Baptist confession, or maybe if you are really Southern Baptist, the Baptist faith and message, it's what we believe about God. It's what we believe about God. And What we believe about God, we confess. We confess. It's it's important um, for Christians to be able to confess their faith. It's important for people in the community of faith to, to have something where they can hang their hat on, where it's not just these good feelings about Jesus, but the things that we actually believe. We believe that Jesus was sent from the Father. We believe he is the revelation of, his, of the Father's word. We believe that he is the great high priest. We believe that he has made propitiation for our sins in a way that no sacrifice before him ever has these are things that Christians believe. It gives us the foundation of what we are to as we'll see in the last verse to hold fast to. When we say what are we considering about Jesus? Like his his height or his hair color or maybe the way he walked or no 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 no. We're considering the way Jesus informs us of what we believe about God. He is the substance of our confession. The the author of Hebrews is really actually, he's quite um, concerned with this confession. We see this appear uh, two more times, the idea of this confession. Uh, In verse uh, 14 of chapter four, if you um, look there, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. In chapter 10, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of hope, of of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. In every instance where the confession pops up in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is right there because he's the one whom we confess, and the one we confess is the one to which we hold fast to. There's some kind of belief. He is a great high priest who passed through the heavens. He is the faithful one. These are the things that we confess. We are supposed to, I pray, draw great encouragement out of our confession. And you may have the same question as I do, which is, how how formal was this confession? Was there something written out that we can read about what Christians believed in this first century church? There is, there's, there's great evidence that uh, the Christian church uh, in the first century had written confessions, but there, there no, wasn't necessarily one main one that was circulating around, apart from what the Word teaches, right? This was the confession. Now, it's a long confession, because it's, it's everything, but when people started um, uh, discipling their churches, uh, baptizing converts, confessions were a way of summarizing the whole of what the Scriptures teach about God. And people would have to read through these and say, it's kind of like when you, you join the church here at Christ Central, there, there's a covenant, there's a, a statement of beliefs, there are doctrines that you say, yes, I agree to this. Yes, that is, that is my <laughs> stance as well. Because Christians aren't just people who like Jesus. They believe particular things about Jesus. That was probably the the longest section. Number two, after we have figured out how, how are we to consider Jesus? What are we to consider about him? And we get one new thing because we've already talked about holy brothers sharing in the heavenly calling, that Jesus the apostle, Jesus the high priest, and now the main part of this paragraph, is that Jesus is greater than Moses. This is our new consideration for today, one that we haven't really touched yet. We've been talking about how Jesus is greater than the angels, right? And now we're, Jesus is greater than, it's probably the, the title, the heading on your Bible, if your Bible has paragraph headings. Why? Why, why does, why is this where he goes next? It's, it's, this is an occasional letter. That means, just like in our church, there were certain things that were happening in the church that this letter was written to. And the author is addressing things that he's either hearing report of or seeing himself. And he's addressing them directly. And one of the things he, he decides to talk about under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that Jesus is greater than Moses. Moses. Were there people, this is maybe right where your, your, your head goes first, were there people who are worshiping Moses in this congregation? Um, I, I don't think so. And I don't, I don't think that they were the reason why he's made the argument that Jesus is greater than the angels is not, I don't think it's because people were worshiping angels. So what is he trying to do here? Well, we'll have to look at it. So we might be tempted to think that there was a faction in this community arguing that Moses is greater than Jesus, as if they're saying, Moses is our true Savior, not Jesus. But what's more likely happening is that there's a gradual shift from the new being Christ back to the old being Moses. Remember, at this time, people haven't been following Christ for very long. We're in, we're in the first century, maybe a generation into the church, and new believers are being added all the time. It's all still fresh, and it hasn't been an easy new. Persecution has, has been a reality for them. To follow Christ, these, these believers are learning, adds great potential for great persecution. And for these Hebrew people, it's tempting. It's been tempting for them to leave the new and return to the old where familiarity, is, it just feels more comfortable. And it also might come with the possibility of avoiding the suffering that they're experiencing. So what's important to notice that in this passage, when there's an argument for how Jesus is greater than Moses, and I take this as helpful in terms of talking to people about our faith, in terms of asking people to consider Jesus, what we don't get here is a giant Moses put-down session. Talking about how Moses is worthless, shouldn't be honored. This is not a Jesus 2024 campaign where a vote for Jesus is a vote against Moses. In fact, the very first thing he does in verse two is highlight an important similarity between the two. Let's, Let's read verse two. Who Jesus who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. That's an honorable statement. He, he is not dissing Moses, right? Um, Moses has experienced his fair share of critique throughout his, his life. Um, in fact, this passage is probably a little excursus on the Numbers 12 passage that we'll we'll read just a, a few verses from um, it's one that I, I forget is even there sometimes. Uh, this, is, this is a passage where Aaron, Moses' older brother and Miriam, they have, they're kind of fed up with Moses and they don't think he's so special. They, 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 they say, there's many prophets out here. Why would we listen to just, what's so special about him? He's not so special. And this is how the Lord handles it you can hear a little bit of the fatherly wisdom coming from the Lord here um, and how he handles this little feud. Starting in verse five, "'And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud "'and stood at the entrance of the tent. "'He called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. "'And he said, hear my words. "'If there's a prophet among you, "'I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. "'I speak with him in a mouth, clearly.'" and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. So they they got told, they got set straight. Do not doubt my servant Moses. Yes, there are other prophets, but there is not another one like Moses. He is faithful in all. House, Man, would you long to hear the words of God talking about you like that, faithful in all his house. What an honor. So where Jesus was faithful to God who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful. This is not a point of dissimilarity. This is a point of overlap. And how easy would it have been for the author to bring up some of Moses' dirty laundry, which is readily available in the Old Testament? but he doesn't. In these verses, Moses is given great honor. But here is where the the similarity departs and we see some points of dissimilarity. Moses' honor is an honor that cannot be compared with that of Jesus. They are apples and oranges. See, Moses was faithful in the work that God had appointed him to do, which was, giving the law of God to the people of God, in leading the Hebrew people out of slavery in Egypt, multiple, multiple um, instances of, that we can read about in the, the Torah. The author shows this dissimilarity by pointing out two fundamental differences, and it has to do with the work that they were appointed to. Could Moses possibly have equaled the faithfulness of Jesus no, it's, it's impossible. Why? Because two fundamental differences. Let, let's read verses three to the beginning of verse six. For Jesus, this is starting the, the dissimilarity. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. You see there in the beginning of, of, of verse three, Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, which means Moses is counted worthy of glory. The scripture, even the New Testament, hold him in high regard. He appears with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, that glorious moment. But who is the one shining as bright as the sun? It's Jesus. Who is the one that the voice says, this is my beloved son, listen to him? That was Jesus. He, he is the unique son of God in a way that Moses could never have lived up to. The author is not trying to put down Moses. He's trying to show the unique glory of Jesus. And he provides an illustration why why this is true. And this is helpful because as a a preacher, you're always looking for illustrations and you don't have to, he just gives it to you. The, The illustration here is one of the builder of a house versus the house itself, right? The builder of a house versus the house itself. Which one is deserving of more glory? Which one is deserving of more glory? Nature would tell us that the builder is. Because just in in, um, in the book of Romans, chapter one, Paul argues that only a twisted sinful heart could do something like worship the creation instead of the creator. It doesn't make any sense. Which one... Brought into existence one, which one had the power to bring it into existence, which one is worthy of more glory, is obvious, is obvious. The same thing would go for a song versus a songwriter. One is an act of genius, one is an actual genius. When When you visit a natural wonder like the Grand Canyon, what is that supposed to, it certainly is supposed to inspire all, but all of what? All of whom? Well, the Grand Canyon didn't create itself. It's a product of our creator God. So why in the world would we think that Moses is deserving of greater glory? And you're probably like, well, I don't. And and me either. So what is he doing? He's trying to show us how much glory Jesus is worthy of. If you're in danger of falling away, if you're, if you're falling into despair, if you're considering whether or not you want to maintain your faith, consider Jesus. what are we considering? The absolute uniqueness of his glory. There is no other one like him. It's not even possible for someone as glorious and, and held in such high regard as Moses, and he can't touch it. It's, it's utterly different. Jesus is the builder. Moses is the built. Moses received the word of God on stone tablets. Jesus is the word of God. Moses beheld the glory of God and it showed on his unveiled face. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. And the author makes one more point about Moses before coming to his conclusion. The the dissimilarity here has to do with the relationship with their relationship to the house of God. Moses is a servant in God's house. Who is Jesus? He's the son over God's house. See, Moses is in the house. Jesus is over the house. Moses is a servant within the house who does what the house needs, Jesus shows his authority as the heir of the house because he's the son and he has authority over all servants. And he specifies this here. Moses' part in this, as a servant in God's house was to testify to the things that were to be spoken later right? Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. Do those words um, remind you of anything that we have seen in the book of Hebrews so far? Well, well, first of all, I should probably say, how did how did Moses testify to the things that were to be spoken later? Uh, one, one example that I think will prove the point, John 3, uh, 14 and 15 Tells us about this. You remember the story, Numbers 21, as the the people of of God were uh, in the wilderness attacked by snakes, right? And uh, in order to survive, not just not get bit, because not to preach this passage, but we've all been bit by the serpent. Um, Not to just not get bit, but if you get bit, you are supposed to focus your eyes on the, the the Serpent, the bronze serpent statue that Moses would lift high, and if that was, if you did that, that's where you put your confidence. You were saved. You were saved. Now that's a weird story. That's a very strange story. What's the point? Well, the main point would not come for centuries, millennia later. It's Jesus. John John explains this. Verse 14, 15 of his, uh, chapter three of his gospel. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Whoever looked at the, the serpent statue would have life, would live. Whoever believes in the son of man who is lifted up will have eternal life. See, as a servant, Moses, he was... Testifying of what was to come. Jesus fulfills the testimony. Moses, the servant, testified of the things to come. Jesus, the Son, was the one about whom he testified. Jesus is the word spoken later. And Moses pointed to him. And this this idea of being spoken later should remind you of the very opening of, of Hebrews: that in these last days, it's later. It's later. We're in the last days. God has spoken to us by his son. But Moses was in the former days, the earlier time, testifying to the word that would be spoken. And now that word has been spoken. What are we to consider about Jesus? When he, he asks us to consider Jesus, what exactly are we considering? The glory of his person the glory of his position the glory of his faithfulness as a son all of these things are what we are to consider about Jesus and it brings us to the last question which is why why do we consider these things well the the latter half of verse 6 of our passage explains, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. And we are his house. Moses is a servant in the house. This, this language of, of house, um, we see this in a, in a couple different places in uh, the New Testament especially. God's house was the temple. God's house was the tabernacle. In the New Testament, the temple is destroyed, and the people of God are the temple as God's spirit resides in us. we are we are his house. First Peter talks about uh, living stones being built together and and Christ being the chief cornerstone. Uh, this This language of house is used in multiple kinds of ways. it could be it could even be translated we are his household as we are in the family of God. Both all these things are possible. but the main thing that we're focusing here on is we are his house. Well, who is we? Because this, this letter, as we're gonna see in the next few chapters, is, is concerned with people who are not in the household of God, who are not part of his house. We are his house. And there's a conditional statement here. If, if indeed, we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. How, how do we consider Jesus? We think deeply. We reflect deeply on his work, what he's done, what it means, how it relates to what's come before. What are we supposed to consider about Jesus? His sacrifice, his uh, high priestly work, his uh, divine nature, his propitiation for sins, his glory, his unique position as the son, the fact that all things were created through him. And now why? Because our deep consideration of Jesus leads to great confidence in Jesus that's what that's what Hebrews 3 one to 6 is pointing us to the advice the exhortation is to consider Jesus he gives us what we are to consider about him and then he tells us why because we have to hold fast to our confession and what is so It's a a couple things, but what is so important about this verse is that our confidence isn't in our ability to hold fast. Our confidence is not in our works. Our confidence is not in our ability to keep the law. Our confidence is Jesus. So, if you're wondering, Are you part of the we? We are his house. You're concerned about that. If, as I said in the beginning, if you've been in, are in, know someone in a season of despair, a season of doubt, how do we know we're truly saved? It's whether or not our confidence is in Christ, in him alone and i love this word boast in this particular context because you're talking to a discouraged group of christians when you're discouraged how likely is it that you are going to boast about something not not very likely and if the, the author of Hebrews is is speaking about Jesus in a way that if these things are true, if you consider them, if you confess them, you will have confidence enough to boast, even in a season where people might be walking away or you might be facing persecution and suffering. Because as he says here, our hope is in Jesus. There is, and, and, and I'll all. I'll be honest. That this week, this this is all too real for, for me. Um, because in our, our ministry at the the University of Montevallo, uh, a good friend of mine is um, the. Um, we don't know. We don't know where he sits. Because at this point, he has walked away from. He's walked away from confessing Jesus. Uh, drawn away by the desires of his flesh. Thinking that uh, he can find glory in something else. I don't know why in God's sovereignty that news hit this week as um, teaching on this passage, which is so very relevant, but it's such a good reminder that as my desire is for him to know the glory of Christ, and and I can, I can feel personally attacked by it. I can feel let down personally, but wh- how am I supposed to respond in a situation like this is to remind him of Jesus. Which sounds so simple. But goodness, man, I hope the author of Hebrews has made the case of why it is so very not simple. If this is you, um, I urge you to consider Jesus. Jesus. Not just think good thoughts about him, but dig into the word of God to see what exactly Jesus has accomplished for you. And if your doubt comes from him, then you can walk away. But I don't think you'll find the ability to doubt Jesus in his faithfulness. If your doubt comes from other people around you or your circumstances, the persecution, suffering, the desires of your flesh, consider Jesus. And I'm praying that the Lord reveals his glory to to those who are in a season of doubt and despair in a way that's fresh and powerful. You pray with me. Father, you are the builder of all things. There is none like you. There could never be anyone like you. The glory you have is yours. Any glory that we have is given to us. We are dependent on you to make us faithful, to hold us fast. but Jesus is faithful in and of himself. When our eyes are fixed on the world, on our doubts, on our sufferings, on our pain, on our loss, it is so easy to lose confidence. But when our eyes are focused on Jesus and his work, We consider him. God, may it lead us to confident confession. Turn our eyes away from the things that would bring us down, from familiar things that would draw us back. When we seek glory in anything else other than being faithful to Christ, would it feel totally empty? Father, I do pray for my friend who thinks he will find in the world what good. Only be found in Christ. All our hearts are susceptible to that. Would you protect us? Would you hold hold us fast and keep our confidence and our hope in Jesus? We pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit christcentralchurch.net.